You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Jupiter Research Advertising Analyst Emily Riley goes on the record online. There's this classic group of influentials out there that everybody's known about. They're the experts within a particular product field. Their friends ask them for advice before they buy something. And, you know, they're really the type of person that any advertiser would dream of targeting, especially at the beginning of a product launch. We wanted to know if all the social marketing tools out there have essentially just given these classic influentials a bigger voice or if there's a different group of people that are taking advantage of social marketing tools that are influential in a different way. And thank you for downloading another episode of On the Record Online, the PRSA Prism Award-winning podcast that brings you the story behind the story. Uh, We do in-depth, one-on-one interviews with journalists from the mainstream media, bloggers, podcasters, and newsmakers. And we talk to them, for the most part, about how technology is changing the way they do their jobs. My name is Eric Schwartzman, and uh, I founded a company called iPressroom Corporation, uh, which I am the chairman of, and uh, we help organizations integrate the web into their marketing, communications, and, and PR programs. And we do that with a, uh, a web-based interactive dashboard that allows you to plan and implement uh, online PR outreach programs to reach online audiences through RSS and uh, podcasting and blogging and uh, websites and video on demand and audio on demand and email and search engine optimization, really the gamut of, uh, of new media relations. Uh, I am also personally and professionally fascinated at how technology is changing the way organizations communicate and the way people consume media and information. Today we have a one-on-one interview with Emily Riley. She is an advertising analyst in the New York City office for Jupiter Research. She covers advertiser and publisher trends and technologies, including rich media, targeting, measurement, and response. Emily joins Jupiter Research with over six years of internet advertising experience. Most recently, she worked at Martha Stewart Living Omnimedia, Inc., where she helped relaunch their website as an advertiser-based content site. And previous to that, she was at Advertising.com, where she uh, was a delivery analyst. And uh, her responsibility was the delivery and analysis of advertising campaigns across their network of 2,500 sites. She has a Bachelor of Arts with a minor in economics from John Hopkins University. And uh, I am very pleased to have her with us on this podcast. Uh, We are going to talk about uh, some research that they recently uh, issued uh, on the 7th of November called Marketing to Influentials. Uh, It was quite interesting, and I asked her some follow-up questions on that, and she was very forthcoming with with her answers. Uh, So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, Another thing I wanted to mention before we play the interview is um, I'm going to be teaching a course at UCLA, uh, which is called uh, Introduction to Online uh, I'm sorry, Introduction to uh, New Media Public Relations. And we've got some great guest speakers that are going to be coming down to um, participate in that. Uh, Namely, uh, uh, we're going to have Phil Gomes from Edelman, who I've interviewed for this podcast before. We're going to have Sally uh, Falco from Expansion Plus, who I've interviewed for this podcast before. 
Uh, we are going to have uh, Tim Borkwin uh, with TNC New Media, who produces Podcast Expo. He's going to come down and talk to us as well. And we are going to have Chris Bechtel, uh, who is the GM at iPressroom, and he is going to uh, talk to the class as well. It looks as well like we're going to have Rob Barrett, who is the general manager of LATimes.com, uh, come down and speak with us as well. So if you're interested in uh, that class, you can get more information on it at www.schwartzmanpr.com. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do that at www.ontherecordpodcast.com. And if you'd like to send us feedback, uh, which we love getting, please, if you have any suggestions for future guests, um, if there's something you don't like, if there's something you like, let us know. Uh, you can do that by sending email to myself, eric, at ipressroom.com. That's E-R-I-C at ipressroom.com. Or by posting a uh, comment to the blog where we cross-post uh, the show notes uh, to this podcast at www.spinfluencer.com. And for your convenience, uh, all this information is included as part of the show notes. So if you just press that little round button in the center of your iPod there uh, three times in a row, you'll get that information uh, right on your screen there. Um, or uh, the same thing, if you're pretty much listening to it in any podcatcher, you should be able to get that information. And now we are going to play for you the Emily the Emily Riley interview. It lasts around 20 minutes, and it comes to you entirely unedited after this. Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from my press room. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom, tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts, and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPressroom, always on, even when you're off. So, Emily, tell us, why did you join Jupiter Research? What's your mandate there? Jupiter Research is a really fun uh, organization. Essentially, they came up through new media, and they're really dedicated to looking at the way consumers, marketers, software companies, technology companies embrace uh, these new platforms that include everything from the Internet to cell phones to uh, games and mobile. Uh, so personally, coming from an advertising background that was exclusively online, I really liked that you could have real research behind something that was relatively new. Now, you guys recently released a social marketing report called Marketing to Influentials. Tell us what are, were some of the top-line findings from that research. Essentially, it started off as a thesis where we really weren't sure what the answer was going to be when we dove into the data. The thesis started out saying... There's this classic group of influentials out there that everybody's known about. They're the experts within a particular product field. Their friends ask them for advice before they buy something. And, you know, they're really the type of person that any advertiser would dream of targeting, especially at the beginning of a product launch. We wanted to know if all the social marketing tools out there have essentially just given these classic influentials a bigger voice or if there's a different group of people that are taking advantage of social marketing tools that are influential in a different way. And what we found is the the second case, that there really is a second group of influential people online today, and that the social marketing tools such as blogs and networking sites have given them the ability to be a new group for advertisers to target, and they are quite different. Now, you also go into uh, the notion of a com combination in influential. Tell us about them. Sure. So essentially, the combination influentials are the holy grail for advertisers, but 
it's a very small group. It's only about 6% of the population uh, compared to about 24% who are the classic influentials and 17% which are the new influentials. So the 6%, uh, what we did was we said, are they really a third group? Do you really need to market to them differently? Or do they really just have kind of a dual personality and they exhibit traits of both new and classic influentials? And they exhibit both traits. So what advertisers can expect is that these kind of combination influentials will really just be the best people within the new or classic influential group that they're targeting. Now, you also uh, mentioned the notion of a purchase funnel. I was hoping you could tell us, you know, first what a purchase funnel is and also what the role of the influentials are in both customer acquisition and, and buying decisions. Sure. So a uh, purchase funnel is kind of a handy way of describing the way consumers go about making any kind of purchase decision. Uh, the funnel starts off wide and gets really small. And the reason for that is that at the top, at the wide part of the funnel, is when somebody really finds out about a brand or decides that they're thinking about buying something. So let's use the example, the classic example of an automobile. Uh, when somebody realizes that their car is getting old, they're probably going to need to buy something new, they start mulling over the different possibilities. They look at what their budget is. They might search online. A bunch of different brands might come into play. Maybe they want a used car. Maybe they want a new car. They start getting advice from people. They start looking around. That's when the new influentials become really important. Uh, this is when bloggers are being read. This is when information is being forwarded. Articles are being forwarded. This is when a new brand might be tipped off in your brain as something you want to look at. New influentials are responsible for that kind of information, spreading buzz, blogging, uh, posting consumer-created content, uh, sending friends information about products. Uh, as the consumer gets closer to that time when they really want to buy something, that's when they really narrow down to one or two possible brand names. They go to a couple of friends who they know are car enthusiasts. They fix their own cars. They always have the hottest new car. That's the classic influential's role is when you're ready to spend the money, you ask the hard questions. What's the, you know, what's the gas mileage? Is the shift box hard to fix? If, you know, I run over a pothole. All these questions that every guy is different. Every girl is different. They know which friend to go to for advice. They know which classic influential to tap into. Classic influentials at the bottom of a purchase funnel have a much smaller circle of people that they're influential over, really people that you know personally because you're hand-picking that person. You're asking them. New influentials being at the top of the purchase funnel, on the other hand, have a much wider range of influence but at a higher level. Uh, so they, they serve very different purposes. So um, in the world of public relations, one of the things uh, we start with, at least from my perspective, is is – there is a, a ladder of influence, and if you can target, uh, if you can start at the top of the ladder, it's very easy to go down the ladder, but it's not so easy to go up. And I'll, I'll give you an example. If you were a lifestyle client uh, launching a PR campaign, if you started in the Vanity Fair, uh, it would be all downhill from there. If you started in Wall Street Journal, it would be all downhill from there. So if you look at this ladder of exclusivity, this sort of pecking order of influence, where do these combination influentials fall with respect to mainstream media? Sure. So uh, both new and combination influentials are influential in the world of social media, networking, blogging, all of that stuff is still relatively new to consumers. Uh, so if you look at the Vanity Fairs and Wall Street Journals of the world, you're talking about a professional review. These are very trustworthy sources. These are the sources that you're going to turn to as kind of your 
a final backup of the information that you got when you were in a, in a less intense segment of your purchase funnel. At the top of your purchase funnel, you're willing to listen to these combination and new influentials. may not be the most trustworthy source, but maybe the earliest source, the one with, where you first heard about this information, or maybe the quirkiest source where you know, really changed your perspective. Uh, so while they're not at the top of the ladder in terms of exclusivity, they might be at the top of the funnel. And so the exclusivity comes into play when you're getting more serious about making the purchase. So many of the people who do listen to this podcast are in public relations, and we're always trying to figure out who we go to first with our news um, so that we can create some sort of organic news trend that will have legs on its own because there's no way you can call every paper between here and L between New York and Los Angeles. You want to try to create a, an organic news trend of some kind. So from that point of view, at what point does the person responsible for breaking news or introducing new information to the marketplace turn to these influentials before or after mainstream media? Um, I would say it depends on the product itself. If you're looking to target a niche audience or a core fan base, then these are the people that will be reading stuff within the social marketing world. If you're looking to target a very tech-savvy base or a group of people that for example, are quite young or quite buzzworthy on their own, that's when you tap in first to the new or combination influentials that are blogging, that might have MySpace pages with 20,000 friends, etc. If you're looking at a product that's a little bit more mainstream, you want to launch it across a much more mass audience or you want a quicker launch, then it's much better for you to go directly to the more professional, if you will, uh, outlets such as a Vanity Fair. Sure. I mean, often, uh, particularly in technology, which you know well, uh, if you're launching a new product and you don't have a lot of customers for the product or you don't have uh, traction in the marketplace, you may actually go to an analyst first, brief the analyst, uh, and then use the analyst as a source when you brief the media. So the analyst almost becomes more influential than the media in that case, and we would put them above the mainstream media on the ladder of exclusivity. This this six percent, these combination influentials. I mean, do you think in some cases, perhaps going to them first might be seen as advantageous? Oh, definitely. I mean, again, you know, the combination of influentials are the holy grail, but at the same time, they're a very small percentage of the population. So you have to look at your ability to find them and reach them depending on your product. In some ways, uh, I represent a combination influential for advertising. Uh, so I am somebody that's reached out to relatively early in a PR process in some cases. It's not always that easy. Uh, not everybody is a, has a professional representing their product. Uh, so in some cases, you know, you go directly to the analyst. In some cases, you have to go and find the bloggers that have the most influence that might be amateurs, uh, in which case they might not have as much stature or be as official. Uh, but now you find that even the Wall Street Journal is quoting where a blogger is the first one to break a story. So the balance is shifting a little bit, and these represent those combination influentials, the ones that really do represent the holy grail for PR people. So, so given that that's the case, how should marketers and PR professionals treat combination influentials? I mean, should they be given the same access to information as the mainstream media, as analysts? Uh, it, again, it depends. The, the, the most important thing to do is begin a relationship with these people. Uh, in many cases, they'll be more than happy to come back and forth with you about who they're 
audience is, how often they publish, what their opinions are of you versus your competition. They're relatively candid. In many cases, they're not part of a longer uh, life cycle within the PR machine, and so they're a little bit easier to get in touch with and talk to. Uh, once you have that relationship, it's going to be a lot easier for you as as a team to figure out when the right cases are for you to have them help you break a story. In some cases, it's the perfect way. In some cases, they'll be quite candid with you and let you know that you probably should go somewhere else. So one of the things also in public relations, you know, we, we always try to, to choose the media to distribute our message based on the message itself. If it's uh, breaking news and uh, it, it'll impact the markets, it goes on the wire. If it's a feature story that has archival value, uh, it goes onto the web. Um, if it's a, an exclusive, it might go via email to one or two journalists. So, so given that, that's pretty much our strategic uh, direction in the world of news breaking. What are the unique attributes um, marketers and PR people should be looking to social media to provide? You know, what, what can social media do that these other conventional channels cannot Sure. So social media, what it does is it, it really actively engages the consumer. The consumer can post commentary. The consumer owns an opinion. Suddenly it's not necessarily a professional on the top of the mountain throwing an opinion down at the masses. The masses are really involved and elevated. And if that's a desired effect, if you want the news to spread in a way that a consumer can feel some sort of ownership over the message, it's the perfect case to use social marketing. So to engage bloggers, for example, or to have a MySpace profile. Not always ideal, especially if you have a very well-crafted message or you have a very short amount of time and you really need the right information to get out there. Um, but you know, there are examples of uh, books is a great case where you know they have small amount of money, limited PR ability at the beginning, but social social networking sites will talk about you know what activities they're doing and they find a book that they love, and suddenly you see sales increase at, over time as consumers are kind of recommending things to each other. So seeing how how that's the case on the consumer side and also amongst niche audience as well. Let's let's sort of um, ch change the subject here and and tell me as an analyst and as someone who's in the information business and in the business of, of of providing others with insights, how does that affect the way you inform the marketplace? Well, in some cases, it matters to me on a smaller degree simply because my data is proprietary. So we're often talking specifically to clients. Um, but where it definitely does matter is the way that I talk to the press, and I actually blog myself. And so I have to build my own personal brand uh, to gain notoriety and gain understanding of what I do so that we get future clients. So there's this weird duality where I have some data that you know, we really just sell, and that's to a very small base, and that goes through a traditional sales channel. But then I have the Emily Riley brand, and, you know, this creates a little bit more buzz around me and creates hopefully a little bit more interest in this data that I have to sell, in which case uh, I really do enjoy the fact that I both blog and talk to people such as yourself so that I have my own personal voice where I can be a little bit more candid on the blogging side. Hopefully bloggers themselves will pick up what I'm saying and you know we have a little bit more of a, a relationship that allows me to learn kind of the inside or backhanded scoop around marketing efforts, for example, compared to you know the more traditional, sophisticated, professional uh, rags out there that 
you know, really get my name out to a much wider and sometimes more professional audience. So they serve different purposes. Well, let's say that there was a, a blogger that you saw as fairly influential, and that blogger wanted access to information. I know, I know the information is, as you said, for paying clients, but in some cases the press gets it, right? They get it if they're going to write coverage. Right, sure. So mm-hmm. how do you decide to where to draw the line between mainstream media and consumer-generated media? Well, again, I think the most important thing in the world of social marketing is the fact that you're talking to people. Uh, The reason social marketing is so popular is that people like to show who they are. They like to meet other people. They like to talk to friends. They like to have a space to communicate and kind of be individualistic. And so when you think about the way bloggers react in that atmosphere, I want to know them as a person. And if I have an a, engaging relationship with them, they're going to be telling me what kind of audience they have, what kind of influence they have. I can do a search on them and understand where they've been quoted, for example, or who, they're, who they have relationships with. And as I create more and more relationships like that, you know, I, I gain trust with particular bloggers that I'm more than happy to share information with. So it is, you know, it's all about, at the end of the day, the relationships you have with individuals. Now, Emily, you just started at Jupiter, right? Um, a little less than a year ago. Oh, mm-hmm. so you've been there. So you were there. You, okay. So not you didn't just start. You've been there for over a year now. Or a uh, just less about than a year. year. Uh-huh. Um, you did you follow what happened with um, uh, Toby Bloomberg, uh, who blogged about the um, Jupiter finds the deployment of corporate web blogs will double in two two thousand six press release. Did you? Follow oh, that I don't one? know. If I did not follow that. That might have been before I got here. It, no, it was in June. And, oh, okay. And, no, I'm not aware of that. Yeah, so there was a report that was issued about um, uh, corporate web blogs. And uh, there was a blogger, uh, her name is Tommy Bloomberg, and she had sent in a request to the PR agency that, uh, and I, this is a whole Megillah, so I'll, I'll, tr- I'll do my best to, to brief you on it, and uh, if, you, if you have an opinion, I would be interested in it. Sure, sure. Um, but, but essentially what happened was um, uh, a request went to Peter Arnold Associates, which is the agency that represents Jupiter Keg and Jupiter Research, mm-hmm. and the request was, um, uh, well... Uh, the quote was nearly 70% of all site operators have been implement, have implemented corporate web blogs by the end of 2006. The stat seemed high. So there was a question that went in from a blogger on the methodology. And the, the, basically, the, I mean, long story short, they got the brush. And then they went back to uh, uh, David Chatsky and they got the brush again. And it basically erupted into a bit of a crisis on the blogosphere. A lot of different bloggers uh, feeling as though um, uh, in this age of transparency, uh, at least the methodology behind the uh, research should be, uh, should be transparent. And all this came out of a press release uh, that was basically touting the results of the report. Um, and then it, 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 it basically resulted in David Chatsky uh, posting to his blog uh, an acknowledgement that, in fact, this was a, a bit of a flap doodle and, uh, and in, the, in the future he was going to inform their PR firm you know, not to uh, – not to be hit, not to he was going to inform the PR firm to be more transparent about the methodology behind the research. I noticed that in your report, the methodology is printed um, but it, I mean are you if a blogger or somebody has questions about uh, what's going on in, in in social media or if they have a question about your research, can they ask you I mean how, what's the protocol by which someone gets your opinion? Absolutely different, I think, depending on who you contact within the uh, 
within the agency, uh, the PR agency has their rules and regulations, and we retain them you know, to maintain integrity. So they probably err on the side of caution. Um, but again, like I said, with you know, personal relationships, I love when people contact me directly that are within uh, any type of social marketing world or any type of PR world, because that's what I talk about. And so you know, for selfish reasons, I just want to know, you know what they're writing about, what's on their mind. And of course, you know, if they have questions about what I'm doing, I'm generally relatively forthcoming with that, uh, unless, of course, you know, warrants that they buy a report off of me. But in many cases, we have forwarded reports to amateur bloggers who, you know, have some reasonable expertise in the marketplace. Uh, so I think, you know, David Chasky was absolutely right to follow up on that and apologize for the fact that, you know, our rather conservative PR agency probably should have handed this out uh, more readily. Uh, and I know that our general policy is to be as open as we possibly can. So going forward, I would encourage any blogger that does get rebuffed uh, to just go directly to an analyst because it probably was a mistake. So final question, Emily. Given uh, the developments you're you're watching in the area of social media, can you give any general uh, feedback on whether or not you think marketing or public relations, from a from an organizational standpoint, is better equipped to 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 rise to the occasion here? Well, in some cases, I think public relations probably is because public relations is about spreading buzz and about engaging individuals and really starting relationships, uh, causing a domino effect through relationships. And that really is what social marketing is, but on kind of a bigger scale simply because social marketing allows people to have tools to communicate with so many more people so much more quickly. Marketing, on the other hand, I think has been used to the idea that you craft a message and then you put it out there and consumers really only have one choice. They either look at your message or they look away, uh, but they're not nearly as engaged. So I think that marketers now have striven as much as possible to get away from that and are introducing things like engaging microsites, allowing consumers to create their own content around a brand message, for example, a mashup of a video. Um, but in many cases, you know, this is not a half-hearted attempt, but at least an amateur or early attempt at understanding what social marketing will do to the advertising budget that they spend over time, uh, whereas I think a PR agency in many cases will simply be better equipped uh, to talk to the people that are influential within social spaces uh, simply because that's what they've already done. Emily Riley, Advertising Analyst with Jupiter Research, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.